In order to remember him, Christ instituted what we know today as the sacrament. Through sacred symbolism, we commit to remember him and his commandments. As we inwardly seek to follow covenants and commandments in humility, the straight and narrow path will continuously open up before us. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The sacrament is important to me because it is a do-over for me. I make a lot of mistakes. I am so grateful to be able to have that do-over. It gives me a chance to almost like be one with him and remember through his body and blood the sacrifice that he made for me. And it's like overwhelming and beautiful simultaneously. The blessings I've seen in my life from being able to partake of the sacrament and renew my covenants has been taking a moment to pause and meditate on those things that are most important and to have a quiet moment in my otherwise busy and chaotic life that I can focus on the Savior. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Josh Matson. Josh is a scholar of the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls and a religious educator with seminaries and institutes of religion. He and his wife, Erin, are the parents of four children and live in Saratoga Springs, Utah. Josh, welcome. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. And our special guest today is Brian Ray. Brian is an author, presenter, and the seminary principal of Highland Seminary in Gilbert, Arizona. Brian, thanks for being here. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to each of you at home, thank you for joining us in today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and John chapter 13. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we are going to discuss are first, the sacrament is an opportunity to remember the Savior, and second, Lord is it I. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Josh and Brian in footnotes. Okay, so Josh, as we jump into our first topic, the sacrament is an opportunity to remember the Savior. What context can you provide to us specifically with these chapters and how this topic relates? Yes, so these chapters fall right in the middle of what most Christians call Holy Week. So this is the final week of the Savior, uh, starting on traditionally Sunday when the Savior comes into Jerusalem in the triumphal entry that we call Palm Sunday. And then Monday and Tuesday, Jesus is teaching at the temple. And now we're getting to the section that's going to give us a really quick synopsis of what happened on Wednesday. And we're going to transition in to Thursday. And so these are the days of the, the last week of the Savior as they're moving towards the Savior's crucifixion. Brian, as we talk about these, uh, these chapters with the sacrament, how can we view the, this Last Supper, the sacrament, as a celebration uh, between what Christ is about to experience and his relationship with his apostles? In so many ways, what the Savior is doing is, is really putting a bow on his ministry and, and his life and what he's done to take all of those 
you know, symbols that have reflected who he is along the way, the, the Passover lamb, the bread of life, the living water, and to bring them all together into a single experience for, for these apostles, um, for them to, to celebrate who he has been and will be for eternity, and then to give us the opportunity to do the same. Mm -hmm. So do they realize at this point, the significance of what is happening, that this is the last supper that they're going to experience? I know that at some point they, they know it here, but at what point do they start to recognize that what the Savior is offering them is the next step after he is gone of instituting and, and teaching them about how the ways in which they can remember him once he leaves? I would suspect that it is still on the horizon for them. You know, as I read the scriptures, you see how Peter changes over time mm -hmm. after the resurrection, that, that maybe it's similar to when I was baptized at age eight and began to take the sacrament as part of a, a covenant renewing process. Yeah. And that as time goes on, I begin to, to appreciate and understand it more. I believe it was the same for them. For them, it was still a feast. It was still a celebration, even though the Savior's saying, I'm the lamb. I'm the bread, I'm the water, please remember. Well, and I love how it states here in Mark chapter 14. If we go to verse 22 in the start of this actual institution of the sacrament, in verse 22, uh, it, Mark records, and as they did eat. So they're still in the midst of what they're doing. And yeah. then the savior goes, now let me give you something. Okay. And so I almost think it is taken as unexpected because wow. they're still in the midst of what they're doing. And so then the Savior, Jesus, took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And so it's in the midst of what they were already doing. Okay. So I love this idea that the sacrament is a gift to us. And this is what the Savior is offering as he is about to depart. I would love to hear some thoughts from the audience. In what ways has the sacrament been a gift to you throughout your life? Isaac. Um, for me... When I was on my mission, I was in an interview with my mission president, and he told me the importance of the sacrament is that we renew all our covenants, not just our baptismal covenants, but our temple covenants as well. And so for me to understand that every time I go to church, I'm essentially partaking in temple covenants again and ordinances. And just hearing that really helped me to understand the significance of the sacrament and how important it is that we get to church every Sunday. and really partake of that gift of being able to start fresh every week. So Isaac, as you served as a missionary, was there anything specific that you did to try to help those that you were teaching uh, as they came to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ to understand that importance of the sacrament? Yeah, definitely. You know, we had to make sure that they understood that the same promise they made when they were baptized, um, that they would be remaking that promise every week on Sunday. And so it was really cool to see them understand the, the importance of that and just coming to love their Savior and um, understanding why we have the sacrament in the first place, which is to help us to continue to stay clean for the rest of our lives. That's a great comment. Thanks, Isaac, for sharing that. Well, I love what Isaac was saying about this idea of helping people understand. Mm -hmm. uh, it reminded me of an opportunity that my family and I had while we were living in Israel. Um, we actually had sacrament meeting in our home. Uh, and so we would meet in our front room and, and have sacrament meeting. And our membership, it was really hard to travel on the Holy Day, which is Saturday in Israel. That's when we have our church meetings and we partake of the sacrament for a lot of our members. 
And we received permission to actually give the sacrament any day of the week. And so there were Tuesdays and Thursdays when I would have a member that would call and say, hey, can our family come and can we do sacrament meeting today? And so we would set up our home for sacrament meeting even in the middle of the week so that people could be able to come. And that idea of a gift Mm -hmm. for some of these members when they came, it had been months since they'd been able to partake of the sacrament. And to see them sit there and say, oh, this is my chance. And to really cherish it. The routine that we have sometimes with the sacrament, we sometimes forget just how precious it Mm -hmm. is. And so being able to to see that in the eyes of those who didn't have a chance to have that regular uh, routine was really beautiful. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because when it does become a routine, sometimes we can take for granted what what it's all about. And uh, we had a question that came in from uh, from one of our viewers. And uh, Brian, we're going to start with you. After we watch this question, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. You bet. Hello, my name is Rosie and I'm from Oregon. Sometimes I feel like sacrament meeting can be a bit boring. What can I do to make it more enjoyable? Okay, so, <laughs> so cute. So we're all parents and uh, <laughs> we all have little kids in those moments, you know, we remember when they're growing up where <laughs> how she says sacrament can be a little boring sometimes. So let's start with you, Brian. Uh, what are some things that we can do to make sacrament a little more enjoyable? Well, I appreciate the question. I think I I heard that question a hundred times <laughs> as my children have been growing up. Um, I we talk often about thinking about the Savior during the the sacrament hymn and during the sacrament, and I appreciate a, a suggestion the elder Jeffrey R. Holland made. He he gave a talk about the sacrament entitled "This Do in Remembrance of Me," and in that particular talk, he says if if remembering is the principal task before us then what are some things that we can remember? And then Elder Holland, he also says that, you know, the Savior looked for opportunities to, to help the, the blind and the lame and the sick, for example, and healed them. And so we also should look for those who, who need that help. And so ever since um, I heard that talk, I think about that often, that it's not in the sacrament just about thinking about the Savior, but also thinking about those who need me to act like the Savior would mm-hmm. for them. And that has helped me to have a, a better experience during the sacrament and help, has helped me to, you know, maybe have it be less boring so that I'm thinking about Jesus and thinking about the people that I need to do for. Josh? Well, one thing, as I saw Rosie's question, I couldn't help but think of my own children. And uh, especially after we returned from living in Israel, one of the things I would challenge my children to do is remember the places that we went that were associated with the Savior. Uh, And they would say, well, I can't remember, Daddy, I can't remember those things. And so I would oftentimes pull out pictures and say, okay, here's a picture of the garden tomb. Or here's a picture uh, along the Sea of Galilee. If you'll look at these pictures, maybe they'll jog some memories and you'll see yourself in those places. And so we don't have to go to Israel or see those sacred sites to have that. Mm -hmm. But how powerful would it be, even for somebody like Rosie, to imagine herself sitting at at the feet of the Savior during the Sermon on the Mount. So imagining yourself where the Savior has been, I think is a wonderful way to make the sacrament a little more personal. Cheryl Esplin has a quote that I love talking about how we can do this, how we can make sacrament more meaningful. She says, how can the sacrament be a truly spiritual experience, a holy communion, a renewal for the soul each week? The sacrament becomes a spiritually strengthening experience when we listen to the sacrament prayers 
and commit to our covenants. To do this, we must be willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ. All of us can incorporate some service into our daily living. We live in a contentious world. We give service when we don't criticize, when we refuse to gossip, when we don't judge, when we smile, when we say thank you, and when we are patient and kind. Brian, throughout your life, what have you been able to do to make the sacrament more personal and meaningful to you? I reflect back on, you know, how my parents tried to teach me about the sacrament. And I, I know I was one of those children who said, this is boring, this is boring. <laughs> and so I grew up on a story about my grandfather who he fought for the United States Army in World War II. He was a, he was a soldier on the ground. And just at the very end of the war, where they were stationed, he had one friend who happened to be a member from his hometown in Mesa, Arizona, who had been injured and was away. And because he was healed, he came back to their unit. And, uh, and so the two of them were able to reconnect. And as they reconnected, they talked about home and news and all those kind of things. And it, it dawned on them as they talked that it was Sunday. And they had lost track of the days of the week because of the circumstances. And so my grandpa suggested maybe we should go take the sacrament. And so they walked into the woods and they took, you know, some crackers from their K rations and, and their canteen and their little serviceman's gospel handbook, whatever the title was mm -hmm. at the time. And they had the sacrament, just the two of them in, in Europe in World War II. And what a sacred, meaningful experience for both of these two men that shaped who my grandfather was for the rest of his life. And so for me to reflect on that as my parents and my grandparents tried to teach me that, that okay, grandpa was in a war and the sacrament blessed him, to now look at me and say, okay, in what ways am I in a war? In what ways are, are I and my family at, at war against the adversary and all the ugliness and mortality? And how can the sacrament be that oasis of peace and renewal and recommitment where we can focus on the Savior, we can look back at the week that has passed and look forward to the week and weeks and years and eternity to come. And so that has been one of the ways for me to reflect on how, okay, this is war, and this is one of the ways the Savior has said, I'm, I'm gonna help you through this. What beautiful thoughts. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and insights as we've talked about this first topic of how the sacrament can help us remember the Savior. And for the audience, thank you very much as well for sharing your thoughts with us. And for those at home, how do you make your participation in the sacrament more sacred and personal to you? Share with us online. Christ's role in my personal progression, I think, would be trying to become more like him, taking uh, advantage of, of uh, the Bible to learn the lessons that Jesus taught to his disciples, um, and then trying to apply them in my life. Christ plays a really big role in my self-improvement um, because without him, we really wouldn't be able to truly change um, because of his atonement and his sacrifice. That's the source of all change, really. So without that, I wouldn't be able to make any difference. All real improvement comes as a result of his atoning sacrifice. There is no real lasting eternal change without him, without his atoning sacrifice. And to know that he has overcome all things and will help me to overcome all things gives me the hope and the, the perspective that it can be done. The second topic we're gonna to discuss today is Lord, is it I? 
All right, Josh, what sort of background do we need to understand about these chapters when it comes to this topic? So we, again, are here at the end of Holy Week. In the Synoptics, we actually get an account of Judas Iscariot going and making a deal with the chief priests to hand the Savior over to them. And so this in the synoptics happens in on Wednesday, but nobody really knows about that except Judas. Okay. And so now we're back to the Last Supper and the Savior's gonna give a prophecy. And in that prophecy, he's going to actually say that one of those among the group is going to betray him. What sort of significance is it that all the apostles looked inwardly when the Savior makes this declaration that one of them would betray him? I... I believe it reflects on their character and their goodness that, you know, I think about myself, if I were at the, at the last supper and the savior says, one of you is going to betray me. I hate to say this about myself, but I think I'm the, the guy that would look around and say, Hmm, I wonder who it is. Yeah. You know, is yeah. it, is it Peter? Is it Matthew? Judas has been acting strangely lately, <laughs> probably him. And yet, yet for them, you know, like it reflects in Matthew 26, verse 22, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. And every one of them asked that question that it, it's, as I read it, breaks their hearts to think that one of this group would be the one to do it. And could it be I? Could it be me? That really, that's the, the sadness that I see in them is not just that he would be betrayed, but that it might be me. You know, it takes a lot of humility to admit that you could be at fault, that you that you do need to change. I would love to hear some thoughts on the audience. Why is it so important for us to be humble when we're trying to correct a behavior or change to become more like the Savior? Christina. So I think the initial response when you're reading about these apostles turning to each other and saying, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is to just how you think, oh, is this pointing fingers like you guys were just discussing? But it really is that incredible humility. I mean, you think about the amazing apostles that we have guiding us today and the amazing people that they are. And these were the disciples that were next to the Savior. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine what an amazing blessing? And they recognize their humanity. And it, it humbles us to realize, oh my goodness, we cannot judge each other. We have to realize our own weaknesses, that unfortunately we are capable of doing these horrible acts also, but more importantly, that we just need to love each other and be accepting of each other and know that we're all trying to grow closer to the Savior. Thank you, Christina. You know, this really, this idea of the, the disciples being humble in their approach to this comment, they've learned this from somewhere. This is something they see the Savior uh, do all the time. He is someone that they esteem so much is so humble and he sets the ultimate example for them. And we have an example of that within these chapters. Uh, do we mind going there and talking about, you know, the savior showing the disciples his level of humility? Yeah, absolutely. So if we, if we go back to John 13, uh, one of the things that we see is right before this whole episode happens, the Savior does something unique. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in John chapter 13, verse two, it says, and supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. He raiseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. 
So that's a really long way of saying, so supper had ended, we're now starting to see what's gonna play out next. But the savior wanting to recognize that the father had given him all things and that he was come from God, he wanted to say, I'm coming from the father, so let me give you an example of what that looks like. So he girds himself and in verse five of John 13, and after that he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And so here's the Savior, uh, having just finished a meal, everybody's lounging around as we talked about earlier, and now he's going one by one to wash the feet of the disciples. I think it's first important to remember that this was the lowest of the low as far as tasks go. You know, the dirty, dusty feet. So to do that was an act of tremendous subservience, humility, and and submissiveness. And I appreciate what the Savior says at the end of verse 12. You know, in verse 12, it says, So after he had washed their feet and had taken their garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? And I hear the Savior saying to them, Do you do you see what's going on here? Do you understand what just happened? Can you appreciate what I've just done for you? Which he then follows up with, you know, in verses 14 and 15, if I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Which is the hallmark of his life, his invitation throughout the New Testament in his ministry to the Nephites in the Book of Mormon. I've just showed you what to do. Now do this love, serve with humility and, and submissiveness at every turn. And this is a very intimate setting that they're in. And I find it interesting how it's stuck in between these two examples. He, so he washes Peter's feet. And then we have in verse 34, it's a new commandment that again, following his, his example, that you love one another as I have loved you. Go out and, and love one another, right? What do we learn about what he's really trying to teach uh, his disciples about what it means to to love each other, especially given the significance that he is going to soon leave them and that this all falls on them now moving forward? Yeah, and and I think uh, a linchpin to all of this is actually verse 33, where the Savior says, little children, yet a little while I am with you and ye shall seek me. Um, But that idea of little children is this idea that you all don't understand yet. Uh, It echoes what he's going to say in John 21 when he talks about lambs and feed Mm -hmm. my sheep. And so this idea that you're still in that process of coming to know. And so as you haven't got it all figured out. You may think you do. You're the leaders of this church, but you don't have it all figured out. And part of that is some of the interpersonal relationships between the leadership. Mm -hmm. So continuing to verse 35, He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples. So if you want everyone to know that you're truly a Christian disciple, I need you to do this. If ye love one to another. Now in the Greek, that one to another is very specific to just the disciples. If you want everyone to know that you're my disciple, the best thing that you can do is love those who are part of the covenant and part of this leadership so that they can see how close you are together. And this is, I mean, this is the Savior saying, if we're going to build the kingdom of God here on the earth, then those who are on the outside looking in need to be able to look in and say, wow, those people love each other. 
They regard each other so highly. They serve and they bless. They mourn with those that mourn and they comfort those that stand in need of comfort. That's what I want. You can see the Savior wrapping this up and saying, I've told you so many times that where you are spiritually and religiously, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, it's a, it's a wreck. And he's undoing all of that and saying, no, let's just get down to what really matters. And that is that you love and you serve and you do so humbly without regard for, for position or prominence or anything of that nature. Uh, there's a wonderful quote by M. Russell Ballard talking about this. He said, if we are truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will reach out with love and understanding to all of our neighbors at all times, particularly in times of need. Surely good neighbors should put forth every effort to understand each other and to be kind to one another, regardless of religion, nationality, race, or culture. I would love to hear from the audience, you know, as we talk about the importance of, of loving one another, how has following the example of Christ to love one another strengthened your testimony on how much he loves you? Carl. Well, first of all, I think Jesus really exemplified it when he served the sacrament to Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. And he washed Judas's feet, who he knew he was going to betray him. But um, I pastored a church for about 20 years and just the different things we would do in the community. And they go, why? You don't know me. You know, I thought this was an empty building before. And, and now you're out here and you're doing this. You're giving us you're offering us help. Mm -hmm. You're inviting us in. Um, you're making us feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, I think that goes a long way when we just do little things like that to reach out to anybody in any way. And they're going like, what's in this for you? And it's nothing. Jesus loves me and he told me to love you just like he loves me. And, you know, the best way I know how to do it is to serve you. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Well, thank you, Carl. That's a great example of just what we gain as we love others, just that feeling, that good feeling that, that comes from doing that. What, what are some of your thoughts as we, you know, talk about this, this second topic of in reflection, the humility that it takes to truly change and become more like Jesus? Uh, well, I was just thinking about what it says in, in John 13, verse 17, as the Savior, you know, basically is wrapping this all up and gone through this whole experience, just a simple statement. If you know these things, happy are ye mm -hmm. if you do them. You know, that really that's what the Savior is, is trying to do for us is, not just give us a bunch of things to do, um, and not even just to become like him, but he wants us to, to do these things so that we can become like him, so that we can be happy. So we can be happy now and happy throughout eternity in our families, with the, the families that we've developed here, uh, covenant families and all of that, the family of Israel, as President Nelson would speak to it. And so that's what I really see in all this is the Savior ultimately saying, look, I'm giving you all of this just because I love you and I want you to be happy. Okay, Brian, since you brought that up, just tell us what makes you happy in your life right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say that, that those things that make me the happiest are connected to my family and then how our family is connected by the gospel. That, that that's what it is. You know, my, my, I have three children and my three children are adopted. And so I tell people all the time that the three happiest days of my life are the day that my wife and I were married and sealed together, the day that my boys were sealed to us, and the day that my daughter was sealed to us. Wow. That that is it, that, that these ordinances and covenants, the life and ministry of the Savior, that all of these things culminate in 
my family being able to be together forever with loving heavenly parents and a savior who has given everything so that we could be. Thanks, Brian. Josh? I, well, and I think tying both of our topics today together with both remembering the savior through the sacrament and asking if the if it's us. Mm-hmm. Um, I One of the things I have often asked is, how did Christians take the institution of the sacrament and these stories and then use them in their own lives? And we actually get a glimpse of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian saints, he actually gives them instructions about how to partake of the sacrament and how to have a sacrament meeting. But when he's talking about receiving the sacrament, he, he gives some things that I think bring us happiness. Uh, and he says this, starting in verse 28, that as we partake of the bread and the water, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So that's the first caution, is if you're unworthy and you're participating in this ordinance, it's going to bring condemnation upon you. But to avoid that, look at what you can do, starting in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians 11. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And I often read that and went, what? And it, it, are they sleeping in sacrament meeting? <laughs> is, that, is that what's happening here? No, it's many of you have spiritual ailments. And that if you let those ailments continue to increase, you're going to be unworthy to participate in the ordinance. So to rectify that, verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. I can't think of anything that brings more happiness than thinking each week as I partake of the sacrament, as I sit there and ponder of saying, Lord, what is it in my life that needs changing this week? And it takes a very humble heart to recognize that. I love this quote from Elder Uchtdorf, who gave a talk entitled, Lord, Is It I? And he said, but those who want to improve and progress, those who learn of the Savior and desire to be like him, those who humble themselves as a little child and seek to bring their thoughts and actions into harmony with our Father in heaven, they will experience the miracle of the Savior's atonement. They will surely feel God's resplendent spirit. They will taste the indescribable joy that is the fruit of a meek and humble heart. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and insights on this second topic, Lord Is It I. I look forward to continuing this in footnotes and diving in a little deeper into some of these chapters. And for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for sharing your spirit and your comments and your insights with us as well. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Please stay with us. The Spirit communicates with me through intuition. He's kind of in the back like, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this or maybe you should do this. He's just a a constant presence and connection uh, to our Heavenly Father. For me, it seems primarily to be the impressions to the mind, um, to feel clarity. I had um, suffered a miscarriage early in, um, in my marriage. And when I became pregnant after that miscarriage, I was very apprehensive in the beginning, wondering, is this one gonna take, you know? And I literally felt God, the Spirit, putting scripture in my ear saying, be still. Just be still and know that I am God. And it was so reassuring 
and comforting. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from Matthew, Mark, and John with Josh and Brian. Uh, Josh, we had talked about earlier about some of the, the days of the week leading up to some of these events. Do you mind if we go back and kind of talk about some of these things that we may have skipped over or maybe didn't get enough chance to focus on within these chapters? Yeah, and Wednesday of Holy Week, uh, traditionally what's viewed as Wednesday is sometimes forgotten uh, Mm -hmm. because you've got the triumphal entry on Sunday, Mm -hmm. Palm Sunday, and then you've got the Savior giving these great teachings in the temple in Jerusalem on Monday and Tuesday. But then Wednesday kind of is a lull because you only have a handful of verses. But uh, I would almost humbly propose that we call it Anointing Wednesday uh, because of a great event that we read about that Jesus actually tells us that we're supposed to remember. Okay. And so if we can jump into uh, Mark chapter 14, um, we, we start in verse three and we read this. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, so as he's sitting down to eat, uh, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. What, what does it mean when it says that she broke the box? Uh, is there any? Is she just opening it, or what is? Why? Why? Why do you think that term is used to break the box? Well, I think part of it is is this box is made of alabaster, and and we have an example here. So uh, I brought with me just a, a piece of alabaster, and you can see it's a fairly brittle stone, uh, and it's very translucent. And so you can mold this and shape this. And so it's easy to break. Um, And so whatever may have happened, maybe it was easy to get the ointment out, or maybe that was how it was maybe even packaged. It could even be that this is such a sacred, special moment for her that it's like throwing something, I'm going to use it once for this special occasion and never use it again. That that's how, how important this moment is for her, that this sacred box with this sacred ointment sacred to her, Mm -hmm. that it is not going to be used for anything else ever again, except for to anoint the Messiah. Okay. Yeah. And and this anointing in ancient times, you would anoint two different types of people, priests and kings. Uh, But anointing was also done in preparation for burial. Uh, And so in the context of the Savior, you're actually seeing that she could be anointing him as king of kings, or as the great high priest, or in preparation for the events that are going to come in the next couple of days. Do we know anything about this woman and what she's doing? And so we don't. Um, so she she comes there in verse three, Mark fourteen, and she she puts this on her on the head of the Savior. And then in verse four, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, "Why was this waste of the ointment made?" Which they then explain in verse five, for it might have been sold for more than three hundred pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Now, there's actually an interesting note that in rabbinic tradition, during Passover, it was a time of charity. And so during the Passover events, the expectation was is that you gave a little bit more. Very similar to Christmas, where you're going to give a little bit extra. And so, yeah, there's grounds for this argument to be made. That, that's always surprised me, and I'm glad you explained that, because I always thought, well, why do you care? It's not your oil. It's not like you could benefit from that money. So why are they uh, fixed on what she's doing with her oil? I think one of the things that they're missing is the, the sacred nature of sacrifice, that she is giving something of great value and the Savior is recognizing this sacrifice. You know, whereas the widow 
only gave two mites and he recognized her. This is someone giving a great deal. And I, I think he's trying to invite them and then each of us by extension, me, to look at, okay, what am I willing to give? What am I willing to sacrifice? He allows her to make this offering in order to teach this principle that sacrifice is profoundly important as we're trying to live the gospel. You'll always have the poor with you, like he tells them, but the ability and the opportunity to sacrifice ought to be taken at every turn. Mm -hmm. And and to add to, to what you're saying, Brian, which is so good, there's a great promise that comes in verse nine. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying, verily I say unto you, whethersoever this gospel shall be preached, Throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken for a memorial of her. Now, what I love about this is the, the memorial is not to her name. We're not going to venerate her as an individual, mm -hmm. but we are going to venerate her acts. And I can't think of how many times in my life I can remember an act that somebody did for me, but maybe not who did it. And so the action is what is being memorialized. And I love how you said that, Brian, that this sacrifice is being memorialized more so than the person. So at the risk of, of putting you in a position to, to boast about yourselves, <laughs> while we're on this subject, would you mind just, what are some of the sacrifices, I guess, that you would say that you have done to help praise uh, Christ, to put him, to, to give the attention to him? I think at least for me, it seems like time is the real sacrifice in this day and age that on the one hand, everyone is so busy, I'm busy. And yet by the same token, we have so much dis discretionary time. I have so much discretionary time. And I don't know about others. I know about myself that sometimes, you know, the inconvenience and in that, that really when it comes down to it is how am I going to spend my time? And there are a lot of good things that can be done, but to sacrifice my time in such a way that I am giving something that the Savior would give, to sacrifice my time in order to do what the Savior would do, that that's what the real sacrifice is. You know, money comes and goes and things and possessions and whatever else <laughs> that people do, which is certainly appreciated in the moment, but it's the time that people are willing to give that really makes a difference in my life. And I feel like that's the real sacrifice I can give. Yeah. I, I often reflect on the story President Hinckley told that he learned from his father of the two boys who were hiding next to a field and found a man's boots. And one of the boys had made the idea of, hey, we should take these and see his reaction. But the older boy said, no, I've got a better idea. What if we take these silver dollars and put them in the shoe and then stand off to the side and hide and see what his reaction is. Uh, and even just thinking about it yeah, makes it me a little emotional. <laughs> and, and I can't watch that great clip the church has put together of that mm -hmm. episode. Uh, and maybe it's hearing President Hinckley's voice right. again and all of that together. But when the man puts his foot in and finds the silver dollar and then the other one and then gets on his knees yeah. and offers a prayer of thanksgiving upon those who've sacrificed for him, I would like it to be said of me at some point that I wanted to act in a similar way, that I wanted to act in anonymity mm -hmm. um, and let them praise God rather than praise mm -hmm. me. Uh, and so sometimes when I have that thought of, I wanna do something nice for this person, uh, the next thought I always want to have, and it doesn't always happen, but I would like it to be is, how can I do it 
to give praise to God rather than to give praise to me. You know, and every week we have the opportunity to remember that ultimate sacrifice through the sacrament, which as we look at the way in which we partake of the sacrament today versus how it was done back then when the Savior first implemented it, there are some differences. Well, it's it's fascinating that when the Savior tells them to participate in it, he doesn't give them direct instructions. <laughs> right. Or at least we don't have a recording. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So if we look in Matthew 26, uh, and I feel bad because I feel like we've neglected Matthew a little bit. So <laughs> um, let's, let's let Matthew have some time here. But starting um, in verse 26. Um, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is in remembrance of my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. That's all the instructions they have. Uh, and so it's really fascinating to think, okay, well, there's the instruction. Yeah. What next? I'm supposed to bless it. How do I bless it? Yeah. What should I say? How should I stand? What, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. And so we, we have a little bit of a glimpse of what that looks like in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, Paul gives us an idea of how the saints were supposed to uh, partake of the sacrament. Um, and they emphasize a couple of different points here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20. Here it says, When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. And there's a little footnote there in verse 20. Joseph Smith corrects it in the JST. Is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? So when we gather together, isn't it to do what Jesus commanded? This is the reason why. Yeah, and so, and then this is what uh, instruction that is received starting in verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. I've found that a fascinating phrase. Paul wasn't there when the sacrament was given. He's he's speaking by revelation. I'm telling you how to administer the sacrament because I have learned it by revelation. It's certainly a prophetic statement. Yeah, and so he says that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. So now we've added another line Mm -hmm. because nowhere in Matthew or Mark do we get that remember me. And so we get that uh, little addition that comes. Uh, And then after the same manner, he took the cup when he had supped saying, this cup is the new Testament of my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. I, I think that's an important point. We talk so often about how we take the sacrament to renew our covenants, which is true. That is certainly true. And I appreciated what, about eight years ago when the senior brethren put greater emphasis on the Sabbath and and talked about that it was Elder Neil L. Anderson of the 12 who talked about this very thing. You know, we talk so much about renewing our baptismal covenant and it's true, we do. And even acknowledge I've taught that from the pulpit myself, but that isn't found in the scriptures. That's not a scriptural principle that every time it talks about the sacrament, it's about remembrance. It's a memorial service to help us remember him in that moment, what he did to help us, you know, carry that memory throughout the week that I think sometimes as members of the church, as a member of the church, I lose sight of that, you know, that I'm not here just to renew covenants, which of course is profoundly important, but I am here to remember him, to reflect on his sacrifice and what he has done and continues to to do for me and my family. Yeah, and and so it's fascinating that there's that part. There's another part in here that we saw earlier 
which is, uh, again, coming to 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, mm-hmm. if we remember back in Mark 14 and Matthew 26, there's this idea of giving thanks. Now, I've had friends of other faiths say, Josh, why does your church say you partake of the sacrament? Why don't you call it the Eucharist? Uh, and uh, I've thought about that a lot, and it wasn't until I learned some ancient languages that I learned that Eucharist comes from the word Eucharista, which means to give thanks. And wow. so when our brothers and sisters of other faiths are partaking of the Eucharist, they're emphasizing that give thanks aspect. Uh, and there's a really cool uh, document from antiquity called the Didache, uh, the teachings. Uh, this is an ancient Christian document that dates sometime between 50 and the third century AD. Um, and there's actually two chapters on the Eucharist. Uh, but I thought it would be helpful in this kind of discussion of the history of how did Christians, after the first generation, how did they recognize this? And, and here's what it says. Uh, so this is the Didache chapter 9. Now concerning the Eucharist, give thanks as follows. First, concerning the cup, and then they have a prayer. And here's what the prayer is. We give you thanks, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant, to you be glory forever. That focus again, Mm -hmm. remembering Jesus. And feeling gratitude for it, expressing our gratitude. We do what we do because we're thankful. Yeah. And uh, then with the bread, we give you thanks, our Father, for the life and knowledge that you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant, to you be glory forever. And so in both of those ideas that we're focusing on the Savior. Uh, Now, one thing that I love about this text is after they partake of the sacrament, they're supposed to do another thing. And it says this in, in chapter 10, and after you have had enough, after you've really given that thanks for the the bread and the wine, give thanks as follows. We give you thanks, Holy Father, for your holy name, which you have caused to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and faith and immortality that you have known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. You, Almighty Master, created all things for your name's sake and gave food and drink to humans to enjoy so that they might give you thanks. But to us, you have graciously given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant. Yeah, I wonder how, how many of us recognize that that is such an important component of the sacrament, is that opportunity to not just reflect and remember, but then to feel gratitude. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do I demonstrate gratitude for the privilege of partaking of the sacrament every Sunday? Does my week... You know, not just the moments after the sacrament like yeah. it was for them, but how does my week reflect my gratitude for the ordinance and for what it means, you know, as we think about the Savior's atonement? Go go demonstrate it by doing something righteous. Go serve someone. Show you're grateful by doing something that would demonstrate your gratitude. I love that. That's great. So, Josh, as we talk about it, focus on the end of Christ's life, uh, President Hinckley uh, once said that there would be no Christmas without an Easter. Um, within this text, we, we see a connection between the end of the Savior's life and the beginning of the Savior's life. Do, do you mind walking us through that? Because there's some really interesting, fascinating things that we can learn. Yeah, I sometimes get in trouble at Christmas parties because <laughs> of, of this. Somebody will say, I've hey. been there too. Yeah. Same, <laughs> same thing. So Brian and I, we understand that sometimes an occupational hazard is, hey, would you teach us something about Christmas that Are we don't sure? know? And you're like, <laughs> yes, I would. Um, so if we go to Luke chapter two, um, we're very familiar with this story that um, 
Mary and Joseph are coming into Bethlehem. Uh, and we read this verse uh, in Luke 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, you and I, we often imagine a gruff innkeeper mm -hmm. who, when they show up and says, hey, we need a place to stay. No, no room for you. <laughs> Slam the door. No, no vacancies. Yeah, but the word for in there is kataluma. And that word is actually a guest chamber. So they're not going from hotel to hotel. They're going from person to person saying, hey, do you have room in your guest room oh, wow. for us? And almost certainly, because they're going back to their to his ancestral home, they're going back to family. Mm -hmm. and, and there's just so much family and so much chaos and commotion that there's just not room. Yeah. And controversy. Yeah. Uh, remember, Joseph and Mary aren't That's married. Right. Yeah. So if you show up to Aunt Suzanne's house and say, hey, do you have room for us? It's fascinating there in Luke 2, it says there was no room for them, them. in wow. the inn. Which means that there's room for someone. Yeah. Which not, could just be. Just not them, potentially. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't want to push that too far, but I think that there's some great insight that we can get there of saying, mm -hmm. wait, if Mary and Joseph are rejected by everyone, individuals. Including family. Yeah, mm -hmm. including family. Do I reject those who I might think, oh, you're not up to where I want to be. So you can't come to Thanksgiving dinner. Exactly. And so, but I wanted to emphasize that word in, kataluma, because that is the same word that we actually see in Mark chapter 14, verse 14. It only appears three times in all of the New Testament in Greek. That time in Luke 2, and then both in Luke and in Mark when it comes to this event with the Last Supper. So here in Mark 14, 14, and wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, where is the guest chamber? Kataluma. Same word. Same word wow. as Mary and Joseph trying to find this guest chamber. Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. Now, verse 15, and he will shew you a large upper room, a different word there, furnished and prepared, there make ready for us. And so I love these bookends that individuals rejected the Savior at his birth, but now we have an individual who's willing to let him in. And so I want to ask. And is prepared. It's not just that you can use my room, but it is furnished. It's ready. Oh. It's all ready for the Savior to come do what he needs to do in that moment. Yeah. And so who am I? Am I the one who's saying, no, there's no room for him in my life? Um, even when maybe I'm taking the sacrament, no, there's not room for him to give me some correction or yeah. to help me become better. Or am I like this good man? I love that that's the word that's there. Who's saying, yeah, I already have it all ready to go. Come in, come and find place. Yeah, and I, you know, I think about Mary and Joseph probably went to a family home, almost certainly. And so here's all this family. And so it's not like it's people doing bad things that are forcing them out. It's a family gathering. They're celebrating all these things that I, I wonder how many times, you know, good things crowd out the best things for me. You know, I think about a time when, when I was serving in a, in a particular capacity and I talked with my neighbor one day and he's telling me about this problem that he had within his house. I said, oh, why didn't you ask me for some help? I would have loved to help you. I said, well, you were in a suit and tie and getting ready to leave. And so I didn't want to bother you. I'm thinking, my goodness, church got in the way of serving, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. A meeting 
took precedence over actually serving someone. And so I think about that too. Do I let even good things crowd out the best things and keep me from serving the Savior, allowing him into my life and allowing others to feel that as well? And when you do that, there has to be some rearranging that takes place. I'm sure in this upper room, furniture had to be moved and switched around to to make room for for the Savior. And in our own lives, how often, you know, do do I consider that? What am I willing to change? What sort of furniture am I willing to either get rid of or move out of the way to to make room for what the Savior brings? This has been so wonderful, and I feel like we could just keep talking forever. Uh, but before we close, I'd love to ask you, Brian, while we have you here, uh, you've you've been a, a religious educator uh, for for years in your career. Uh, how has teaching and learning about the Savior had a part in, in shaping and creating who you are? I would have to say that the more that I've come to know who He is, whether it's through the Scriptures or through the words of living prophets or through my own spiritual experiences, the more grateful I feel for what He's done and continues to do. Um, and maybe that's one of the things that I feel about him is it's not like he did this event then. It's that he does what he does continuously. It's an ongoing salvational process for me, for everyone. But for me, it's this ongoing process. And the more that I appreciate that about him and see those attributes like mercy and kindness and compassion and forgiveness, the more I want to be like that, the more I feel the need to rearrange the furniture mm-hmm. and throw some out because it's blocking the way. It's keeping me from being who he would have me be and going where he would have me to go. And so I think having those experiences where I learn more about who he is and how much he loves me, that that's what's changed me. Well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you both today. Brian, thank you so much for, for being here. I, I love that having that Mesa connection with you. <laughs> Me too. It's been it great. <laughs> and Josh, it's always wonderful to, to meet with you and to discuss other uh, scriptures together. So thank you both for what you've added to this episode today. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from Matthew, Mark, and John about the Last Supper. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Come Follow Up is a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. And join us next week as we study John chapters 14 through 17 and discuss the Holy Ghost and abiding in Christ. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.